Welcome to Wyoming, my 307. My name is Carla Mowell, and when it comes to outdoor recreation, we in Wyoming have an embarrassment of riches. Whether you're a resident or a visitor, it's just impossible to get to all of it. And today we're going to talk about hikes by highways with Bruce Shiliano. Bruce is a Wyoming outdoor recreation pathfinder. When we planned this episode, we decided to explore two routes to Yellowstone and hikes that are right off of the highways that would take us there. Bruce is going to talk about hikes along the route from the Black Hills to Yellowstone, and I'm bringing you up from Colorado to Yellowstone. We picked hikes that were as close as possible to the highway so that you can stop and stretch your legs along that long trip to Wyoming's Wonder. Let's get going. Welcome, Bruce Shiliano. Did I pronounce your name right? You did. Okay, good. Bruce is a Wyoming pathfinder. So let's start with that, Bruce. What do Wyoming pathfinders do? What is that job? Well, we work for the Office of Outdoor Recreation in the Department of State Parks and Cultural Resources. And outdoor recreation pathfinders help people find their way to their next adventure in Wyoming. We have. Two main thrusts to our job. One is to provide information and education to uh, folks out there to where to go and also how to recreate responsibly in Wyoming. The other thrust of our positions is to work with organizations, whether it's non-governmental organizations, businesses, etc., to promote the outdoor recreation industry and to help grow Wyoming's economy and to diversify Wyoming's economy. Hmm, It sounds like a really interesting job, and and I know part of your job has been to start a new podcast for your agency, and I was really happy to hear about a a new Wyoming podcast in town because there aren't that many of us. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, about your podcast and what you guys are doing? Well, it's called Wyoming Pathway to Adventure. We kind of have a couple of things going on there. We have some of those more formal interviews with uh, folks uh, talking about uh, a place to go and what they do in terms of uh, engaging in the out of doors. And also we have these short kind of lighthearted how-to segments, and those will be going on soon. Neat. Well, I listened to one of the episodes. I don't know if it was the absolute latest one, but uh, where you interviewed a guide who takes people rock climbing, and it just sounded like so much fun. I almost want to go against my instincts and try rock climbing. <laughs> you know, that is an example of um, what we would hope to accomplish in our podcast, because um, I'm a kind of guy that um, believes my feet should be firmly planted on the ground or in the stirrups in my saddle. But, uh, and I'm deathly afraid of heights, which is kind of ironic since my father was a barn painter, but I'm scared of heights. And like you, I, I, listening to Nick Flores of Bighorn Mountain Guides, uh, I had a lot of trust in Nick and respect for him as a result of that interview. And it got me thinking maybe I could do it too. So Nick has offered to take me rock climbing, and um, the sounds of my screaming will be on a future podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Only kidding there. Well, I like 
I like when he said, you know, if you only want to go up 10 feet, you can go up and down 10 feet 10 times, and that's like going 100 feet. I was like, okay, I, I might be able to do that. Well, you know, I think that's an important thing when we're talking about outdoor recreation, because recreation means to recreate ourselves. So we go into the outdoors to recreate ourselves and to challenge ourselves and to learn something about ourselves. So when I was talking to Nick, yes, maybe 10 feet, climbing 10 feet up a rock wall is going to be nothing to somebody else. But to me, I'll learn something about myself because it will require me to trust the ropes and to trust Nick. And if I can go up and down 10 feet, I'll consider that a success. I agree. And I, I'm just all for anything that helps everybody feel comfortable and engaged and happy being outdoors, you know, just including everybody. So it doesn't matter what your skill level is or what your experience is. There's, there's something fun to do outdoors for everyone. You know, it doesn't mean you're going to go crazy and try rock climbing solo freestyle or whatever it's called without the ropes. If you've never had any experience, but get out there and try something. Sure. You know, I was a game warden for 30 years and sometimes I would check people uh, in the field who were brand new at the sport that they were engaging in, for example, fly fishing. And sometimes based on their comments, sometimes people will feel like they're being judged on their skill level. And I would tell them this, you're not, uh, this is not a competition with other people. If you're doing something for fun, as long as you enjoy doing it, you can do it badly. You can do it poorly in terms of skill. If you're having fun, what does it matter? Right, and nobody nobody started off as an expert. I mean, everyone started off as a newbie, so I'm okay with, with being the new kid who's trying something. Well, today, preparing for, for the interview, I had a lot of fun because I got to gather up some of my favorite places to stop and stretch my legs on a road trip across Wyoming, which I've driven a lot of miles. And I have some really nice stops lined up for us. I can't wait to hear what you've come up with. And I just want to tell folks that I will have a map on the website so that folks can find our little hidden gems and just follow along with us today. But our goal is to get across Wyoming and to get to Yellowstone National Park. And of course, we're not alone. Did you know how many people visited Yellowstone in 2021, Bruce? Uh, nearly 4 million. It was nearly 5 million. Oh, Last know. year was a big year. It was like 4.8 million. And I just think that's amazing because it's like 10 times the population of our state is going to Yellowstone. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's amazing. I am going to start us at the Colorado border and zoom us up I-25. Our state capital of Cheyenne is only eight little bitty miles north of Colorado, and that is my first stop. And I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a cheater stop because, you know, your first stop is going to be in a city, which is not what you're expecting when you think of a hike by a highway. But I really think that the Cheyenne Botanic Gardens and Park is well worth the four miles off of I-25. You exit on Pershing Boulevard uh, off of I-25. 
there's a really sweet little lake you can walk around and an arboretum, which is basically a park full of trees. All the trees are identified, which I always really like because, you know, when you go to a park and you see a tree and you're like, I would love to have that tree in my yard, but you have no idea what it is. I love it when they identify the trees and tell you a little bit about it. But the Botanic Garden has a lot of stuff. There's what they call a children's village, which is really hands-on. And then they have an indoor conservatory that's multi-levels and has just beautiful plants. The children's village and the conservatory just have regular office hours. But the main grounds are open from dawn to dusk. And I I really chose this because I think it also makes a really great stop in the winter because you don't have to have like all the gear for the cold weather stuff. You can go into the conservatory, which is kept at a nice temperate temperature. And have you ever been to the Cheyenne Botanic Gardens? I have, and it's very pleasant. It's actually a nice little day trip, even for folks coming from Denver and, you know, the Colorado area. And the children's villages, um, I took some uh, kids there, and it's a lot of fun. What did they do? What did they like to do? Mostly, they like to run around. But there's a a number of hands-on activities uh, there at the children's village. It is uh, adjacent to the botanical gardens. Right, right. It has the same entrance. Now, when we went there last time, it was prom night, so it was just full of high schoolers taking pictures and their parents buzzing around them. So that was kind of fun to experience. So we're going to hop back in the car, back onto I-25, and we only have to drive about a little over two hours to get to one of my favorite stops along a highway to stretch my legs, and that's Ayers Natural Bridge Park. And it's basically around Douglas. It's five miles from I-25. When you exit, it just looks like it's part of the endlessly flat middle of Wyoming. So you're like, I don't know about this. You know, this is just going to be a big prairie. But you're in for a big surprise because as you come in, you notice that it's changing a little bit. And once you get into it, you see the natural bridge, which is one of only three natural bridges in the U.S. that actually goes over running water. So those beautiful natural bridges that we see in pictures, you know, in Utah, they're absolutely gorgeous, but they're in that desert kind of background. But this bridge is actually going over running water, and there's several trails all around. There's tons of picnic tables you know, restrooms, you can camp there. It's a, it's a small park, but, but it's a perfect place. You know, if you're in Cheyenne, stop at the grocery store, pick up some food and eat it there at Ayers Natural Bridge Park. It's really worth it. I stopped there with my daughter, Sophia, one time and we ran into the grocery store and just bought a bunch of fruit and made sandwiches and just hung out at the picnic tables and you just kind of wish you could stay there all day, but you got to keep going because our destination is Yellowstone. <laughs> I was going to mention the Cheyenne Botanic Gardens and Ayers. They're both free. So that's also uh, extra points in my book. So my next stop, which is just like 45 miles from Ayers Natural Bridge Park, is again in a city. It's Casper, Wyoming. But they have put in a lot of effort into their Platte River trails. I haven't actually walked the trails, but I have stopped there and just stretched my legs just really close to 
the nearest exit. And it just looks wonderful. Like I saw tons of people with dogs and kids walking around and I was looking at the map online. And next time I drive through Casper, I'm going to spend a little more time at the Platte River Trails. I, I don't know that much about it, but it looks like a really wonderful spot. Do you know anything more about it? Well, I've ridden, uh, ridden, I've walked the trails when I've stayed in Casper on business from time to time. And with the cottonwood trees growing along the river there, it's very pleasant to walk along the river underneath the trees in the uh, summertime because it sits down kind of in the valley a little bit. There is a number of sections that are protected from the wind, which always seems to blow in Casper. Uh, it's paved most of the way. There are some sections that would be accessible to wheelchairs, for example, and uh, someone could, could wheel down those um, trails uh, pretty easily. Also accessible for other adaptive users, such as uh, those with walkers, for example. Yeah, that's a really good point, because I think that a lot of times you don't know until you get there. You know, or I don't know, are there maps and, and resources for folks to know if a trail is more accessible? Not necessarily in Wyoming. That is something that the pathfinders have discussed in terms of putting together information for disabled people to give them more information about some of these trails. And one of the trails I will be talking about later will soon be modified to accommodate adaptive users. Hopefully within the coming months, um, you'll see something from the pathfinders regarding trails for disabled people. Wonderful. I look forward to that. So now, maybe a little counterintuitively, I'm driving you through some of the most beautiful hiking country in the world, but we're not going to really stop much because there's already a lot of information about hikes throughout the Bighorns. And actually, I was looking at the wonder map that you guys have, mm -hmm. and I think it said 147 hikes in the Bighorns. So we're not going to go over those. A lot of them, I'm sure, are quite accessible close to the road. But we're going to kind of zip through Buffalo and beautiful Banner and Sheridan and take you across into the Bighorns to cross over the Bighorns to get you to Yellowstone. And at some point, you're going to have to get off that big highway and go on to one of our Wyoming highways. I'm going to take you on Highway 14. So Highway 14, honestly, is hard to just pick one place. So what I've picked for us today for a hike on a highway right by Highway 14 is somewhere that I actually took a friend to yesterday, which is Shell Falls. Now, the parking lot is literally on 14, and Shell Falls, you can kind of just see it from the corner of your eye as you're driving past, but it's well worth stopping there because you're going to see very many beautiful vistas along the drive to the Bighorns, but it, it can feel a little intimidating to just pull off a road and start walking if, you're, if your goal is Yellowstone. So this stop gives you a chance to fit in a little brief stretch and to soak in those views at a slower pace. And there's a lot of interpretive signs and restrooms, but the big wow factor is Shell Falls itself. There are... I think about 75 steps down into the viewing platform for Shell Falls, but there's also a viewing platform above if you don't feel like you're 
up for the steps that day. And what you're going to see is a close, tight canyon. You're going to see shell falls. It's beautiful all seasons. I, I love it in the winter because you can really see the, the ice muzzle over the falls, and that, that changes with the seasons. If you do the whole little walk, which I don't think they tell you how long the walk is, but I would say it's no more than half a mile if you if you even did all the walkways. But it's kind of fun because you can look down into the canyon, into the falls, and then on the other side of the walkway, you'll, t- you'll get a glimpse of uh, Brindle Creek Falls in the distance. So it's one of my favorite stops to take people because, for example, if I have folks arriving, you know, late in the afternoon, they may not be up for a long hike, but they're always up for just a walk around the falls. Do you have anything to add about Shell Falls? I'm sure you, you've been there a million times. It's a lot of water. <laughs> it is a lot of water, and we're very grateful for it. So once you come down off the mountain, you're still on Highway 14, and before you get into Grable, you'll see a sign on the left that says Red Gulch Dinosaur Tracks. So don't be intimidated by the gravel road. You know, it's going to feel like you need, you know, a 4 by 4 or something to get down it. It feels longer than it is, but it's only like about 5 miles off of the main road. And at the end of that road, there's a very nice parking lot, a covered picnic area, restrooms, and most importantly, dinosaur tracks. And so many little kids are just obsessed with dinosaurs. I think it's worth it to stop there, especially if you, if you have kids with you. It's a perfect place to also the picnic or a restroom break. The dinosaur tracks, you know, it is in Disney World, so you've got to kind of prepare yourself a little bit. They're very subtle. But there are, there's signage there that kind of explains the tracks and then some of the other formations that you'll see, little shrimp holes and that kind of stuff. I've had good luck finding Griffea there, which is always exciting to, for a kid to take home a real fossil. I have done some research about that. You are allowed to collect Griffea there. It's for personal use, of course. You know, there's 10 of them. Leave five of them or nine of them so other folks can find them too. But it makes a really neat thing to take home because you don't get to pick up fossils very often. So I'm going to stop now because we're going to meet up in Grable. I'm going to turn it over to you because you decided to come a different way. I came from Colorado and shot up I-25 and then picked up Highway 14. Which way did you come? Well, we're going to travel on the black and yellow route. You know, before roads were numbered back in the early 1920s, when they were starting to lay out these uh, motor routes across the country, uh, roads were not numbered uh, in the teens and the 20s, but they had names. And uh, one of those roads or routes was called the black and yellow and it was called the black and yellow because it was the black hills to yellowstone and that route went from south dakota it, roughly today it is the route of uh, us 16 uh us 14 and i90 so we're going to start on the south dakota border now People uh, coming from the east, they may 
choose to come on I-90, or perhaps they will dip around the southern end or through the Black Hills, come around the southern end of the Black Hills, and then on Highway 85 and go through Newcastle, Wyoming. So if you're coming through Newcastle, there's a pleasant little trail about four miles north of Newcastle. It's called the Serenity Trail. Drive four miles north of Newcastle, and the trailhead is on a, um, it's a short little road just north of the entrance to the Wyoming Conservation Camp. The Serenity Trail is a two-mile loop uh, through the Ponderosa Forest and um, the western edge of the Black Hills. This is um, a fairly moderate hike, although you can extend it to a four-mile loop by following the signs. And um, it's located on some state land which has been leased by a group called Bent Sprockets for your pleasure. And that's a very pleasant little walk, and it's a good chance to get out and stretch your legs. Now, if you're coming on I-90 from the South Dakota state line, you might want to stop at Keyhole State Park. Keyhole State Park is just about 10 miles north of I-90, you take the Pine Ridge Road exit and drive 10 miles to the state park entrance there. There's two designated trails in the park. One is 2.8 miles long. It is concrete. Again, good for adaptive users. And the other one is, um, excuse me, that shorter trail was one and a half miles long. It's all concrete and paved. It would be good for adaptive users. And the second trail is 2.8 miles long. It uh, takes off through some um, Ponderosa savanna. If you're not familiar with savanna, it is uh, trees with grass growing underneath of it. That's the easiest way to explain it. On the western uh, edge of the Black Hills, you see a lot of this Ponderosa savanna. Big, tall Ponderosa trees with tall grass underneath of it. So these two trails at Keyhole State Park are, are a nice little chance to get out and stretch your legs. Now, if we do continue west on I-90, uh, we're going to meet up with um, you, in a way, at I-25 at Buffalo, and you have a choice. You can go on US-16 over the mountain and come down to Warland, or you can continue on I-90 to Sheridan and then cross the Bighorns on US-14. But suppose you chose to go on US-16 through Buffalo, not too far out of town. As you start to enter the Bighorn Mountains, you'll find Mosier Gulch. And Mosier Gulch Recreation Area is in the foothills of the Bighorn Mountains, and it's a small place for a quick walk or an extended hike five miles west of town, right along the highway. Signed very well, just turn right down in there into the picnic area. You won't actually see the picnic area from the road, but trust me, it's there. It'll take you down the hill. And as you're coming in through the picnic area, you'll see a sign for a trail, that uh, nice wide trail right along Clear Creek. And this goes a, about a mile or so along Clear Creek. It makes a kind of a curve 
you'll see a small dam there. And if you went straight, you can actually see some ice caves where um, water's melted amongst these uh, big boulders and it, during the winter it freezes and it stays frozen through uh, at least part of the summer. So you can get up in there and see those ice caves. If you went straight, you could climb up the uh, Grouse Mountain, uh, which is a fairly strenuous hike. But uh, again, no one's grading you here. Take as long as you want. But Mosier Gulch is a very pleasant place to um, just to, for a stroll or an extended hike. Well, I really like the idea of the ice caves because I had read about ice caves not that far across the Montana border, but I hadn't heard of any here in Wyoming. So I'm definitely going to check that out. I have to uh, make a disclaimer, though. Uh, this winter I did go to those ice caves, and because of the lack of snow, there was no ice in the ice caves. <laughs> I was oh, disappointed. Oh, no. But, you know, we've had some good storms lately, and hopefully... Um, that might have put some big icicles in there. Now, if we do continue on on US-16, there's a really nice hike that will get you into the Cloud Peak Wilderness. Wilderness areas were established by Acts of Congress, and sometimes it can be seen to be daunting for those unfamiliar with uh, wilderness travel to actually go into a wilderness area. However, this hike, will give you a taste of the wilderness without terribly much effort. And that's a hike to Sherd Lake. To get to the trailhead, you'll drive a little over 15 miles west on the Highway 16 from Buffalo to the Circle Park Road, uh, also known as Forest Service Road 20. Turn right or west on the Circle Park Road and follow the signs to the Circle Park Trailhead. From the parking lot, the hike begins in a fairly thick forest, and Sherd Lake is only a little over two miles from the trailhead. So it enters the wilderness fairly quickly, and it uh, the trail takes you up to Sherd Lake, which is a, a nice little lake. It's very pleasant. When you get to that lake, if you just take uh, one of the trails a little bit south, Oh, about three, four hundred yards. It gives you some really nice views of the uh, tops of the Bighorns and the rest of the Cloud Peak Wilderness. That also leads to a number of other trails in that area that uh, will loop around and take you into other lakes. Those are better for a backpacking trip. However, um, if you want a longer hike, this gives you an opportunity to do that. Well, that's what I have for taking U.S. 14, uh, excuse me, U.S. 16. The alternative is to go up to Sheridan and head west on U.S. 14. You come to a cute little town called Dayton. Just before you get to Dayton, there's a turnoff there on County Road 92, which will take you to Tongue River Canyon. Tongue River Canyon is one of those uh, gems that people outside of Sheridan County may not know much about. But it has spectacular canyon scenery. The Tongue River flows through the canyon. It has a number of uh, natural arches. I guess might be a better term than natural bridges, since it does not they don't go over water. But it does have uh, some natural arches. If you follow uh, County Road 92 to its end, you'll come to the, uh, the trailhead. And um, 
again, you could make this a, a longer walk. However, you can walk as far as you'd like to. There is a turnoff to Tongue River Cave, which is a popular cave, although now because of the concerns for the bats living in the cave, uh, you need a permit from the Forest Service to go into the cave itself. But if you're just traveling through, you'd like to take a, um, a quite spectacular walk uh, up Tongue River Canyon. This would be a very good choice. Continuing on Highway 14, uh, you'll climb up the hill, continue on to Sibley Lake Nordic Ski Trails. Now, Sibley Lake is just a beautiful lake. You can't miss it along the highway. Turn in to Sibley Lake Recreation Area, go all the way to the end to the boat ramp, and right by the bathrooms, there's a trail that heads off into the Nordic Ski Trails. Now, I like these trails because although they're used for ski trails in the summertime, they are really a delightful walk along Prune Creek, and they're very well marked because um, there's lots of maps at the trail junctions to help the cross-country skiers. And this is a good place to take a stroll through the forest, especially on a hot day, because it's always cooler back in there. And you have Prune Creek there and the water. And you can walk back to a, uh, a warming hut that uh, is very well maintained uh, by Black Mountain Nordic Ski Club. A nice place to have a sit and uh, relax in the forest. I agree. Like I've never actually been there in the winter when it was performing its duties as a ski trail. I've always taken it in the summer, and it's just I like heights that have like a a goal point, you know. And it's always my goal to get to that warming hut and sit down on the edge of it and have a sandwich. Yeah, and. Um I recommend that uh, those trails for families, especially because it's uh, it's fairly easy and it's so well marked that um, you'll find yourself back in there and you'll see on the map, well, hey, there is a loop I can go on, and it'll give you the distances, etc. So it really helps you out deciding what to do. And the last one that I'd like to talk about before we meet up again with you down on the other side of the Big Horns is uh, Tai Flume, and Tai Flume is uh, south of Burgess Junction on Highway 14. You'll um, have a choice at Burgess Junction whether to go straight to Lovell on U.S. Highway 14A or go on U.S. 14. And to get to Tai Flume, you'll choose U.S. 14. It's about five miles south of Burgess Junction. You turn left or east onto Forest Service Road 26, which is a nice big road. Go about three miles to a Y. Go straight to the Typhoon Campground, past the campground, and cross the South Fork of the Tongue River on a bridge. And the South Fork is just a gorgeous river. You'll find the trail is right past the bridge. There's a small parking area there, and it heads out along the river. Now, the neat thing about the Typhoon Trail is back in the day when the railroads were being built through Wyoming, they needed ties, railroad ties. So they would cut the ties in the Bighorn Mountains with uh, broad axes. In other words, they would hew the ties by hand. Then they would float them down off the mountain on in 
tie flumes. So they built these flumes in the mountains to carry the uh, ties down to the railroad uh, down below. You still can see remnants of this tie flume there along the tie flume trail. It's still there now. It, um, some of the um, portions of the flume are in disrepair. Actually, most of them are, but you can see what's going on there, and that's pretty cool. Not a surprise. I think it's like over 100 years old, so wood will rot. Yeah, yeah I guess it is over 100 years old. But I really like this trail because it's, it's a nice, pleasant little walk that's really kid-friendly. And the river there, it's um, rushing over these big old boulders and, and little waterfalls and... Uh, the spray is coming up, and you can you can sit there along the river, and you can feel the spray. It's nice and cool. The water, the shade, it's a great choice for a hot day. If you pack a picnic lunch, there's a spot pretty much where the trail kind of peters out in this uh, big bend in the river there. And uh, the way the sunlight is filtering through the trees and the added humidity of the water falls and everything. It's um, it's a very pleasant place. It is. It's very charming. And then if you go on Highway 14, you'll soon be at Shell Falls. That's right. Came right by and then we go on to Grable and just stay on Highway 14 because that's going to take us all the way into our goal today, which is Yellowstone National Park. So before you get to Yellowstone, well, let me back up. You've driven through Cody. If you have a chance to stop at, at a grocery store and buy yourself a picnic lunch and get your provisions before you go into Yellowstone, that's a good place to do it. But before you get to Yellowstone, about 17 miles outside of Cody on the way to the east gate of Yellowstone, there's a very nice trail called Four Bears Trail. It's just outside of Wapiti, Wyoming. Wapiti is about 17 miles west of Cody, and it's your last chance to get in a, a nice quiet hike before you hit the crowds in Yellowstone. You want to look for the Four Bears Trailhead sign. It'll be on your right. Uh, there's a parking lot with toilet facilities and even horse hitching posts, signage. The trail actually connects to other wilderness trails, but if you want just a 20 or 30 minute walk to stretch your legs, you'll see some amazing views of really spindly volcanic spires and really interesting rock formations. Keep in mind, this is the beginning of grizzly country, so pack accordingly and carry bear spray. Well, Bruce, what is something that uh, people driving through Wyoming may not realize about us and about our state? Depending on where they come from, they may not be prepared for our wide open spaces. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of Wyoming, especially on the main highways, are not going to be driving through a forested canopy uh, they're going to be able to see for sometimes hundreds of miles nearly. And it, it's that sense of openness that um, some folks may find almost disconcerting if they came from the forested Midwest or East, but it also um, gives a sense of freedom. In one way, I liken it to being on the shore. 
and looking out over the ocean, you become much more attuned to the sky with our wide open spaces. And um, there's almost a sense of freedom there and being attuned to the sky because you can see so far. Right, right. I always tell people when you look on the map of Wyoming and then there's like two dots for two different towns and then there's a blank spot, it really is a blank spot. <laughs> there's no gas station and no Walmart and no, you know, it's just like you said, wide open spaces. What well, what do you think is the hardest thing about living here in Wyoming? I think it's probably the unpredictability of the weather. It can be mm -hmm. it can be ninety degrees one day and thirty degrees the next. There's a um, a harshness that um, almost challenges your soul. Sometimes we can have extremes uh, of weather. The, the summer was rather warm, and yet we will have thirty four, thirty five below zero in a few months. Yeah, there's a reason that uh, Cody and Yellowstone, they're, one of their big sale items is always sweatshirts. Because <laughs> <laughs> people come for their summer vacation and they're not expecting to have to take their jacket. But, you know, we can turn pretty cold pretty fast, even in the middle of the summer. Sure. And um, it may be difficult, but that is one thing that... Uh, I actually enjoy about Wyoming is that uh, you need to be prepared for anything. So in the summertime, as you say, uh, I'll go up in the mountains and I've got wool shirts, wool vests, packed, uh, ready to go because you never know what's going to happen. And lastly, what do you love the most about Wyoming? I love how easy it is to recreate yourself every day by going out in, into nature. Nature is very accessible in Wyoming due to our relatively low population and wide open spaces. And for me, I find um, the opportunity to recreate, because that's what outdoor recreation means, it's recreating yourself. And it's easy to find a place to achieve solitude in Wyoming, where myself being an introvert, that's where I would recreate myself. I agree with you. We're so lucky. We're so lucky to just have it right here. Well, thank you so much. I just really appreciate your insights and all of the hiking spots that you turned us on to. And I look forward to checking some of those out and maybe bumping into you on the trails. Anytime. Just like there are many hikes by highways, there are several wild animals that you're almost guaranteed to see from the highway as you travel through Wyoming. And today's Wyoming wildlife is definitely one of them. It's our own Antelocapra americana, or pronghorn antelope. Although they're quite common around here, I find them endlessly fascinating. We can thank Lewis and Clark for the confusion between pronghorns and antelope. True antelope are native to Africa and Eurasia, and our antelope are actually pronghorns. One difference between the two is that antelopes keep their horns for life, whereas pronghorns shed every year. And unlike deer and elk, both bucks and does have horns. 
Their historic range was from southern Canada all the way down to northern Mexico. There were up to 35 million of them in that range at one point. This dropped to 13,000 by 1915, and luckily today there are about 800,000. And most of them are right here in Wyoming, but they're also found as far south as Arizona and New Mexico. Pronghorns like our open plains, desert, and grasslands, so you'll definitely get to see them on your route to Yellowstone. You know you're going to want to take a picture of them by the road, so slow down and pull off the road, but don't come to a complete stop. They are much more likely to stay put if you're still gently rolling. Now, obviously, that only works if you're the passenger. And once they do take off, they're so fast that our pronghorns are matched only by African cheetahs and are able to sprint up to 60 miles an hour. Cheetahs could definitely catch up to them, but pronghorns can maintain that speed for longer than cheetahs, so they definitely stand a chance. Even with those incredible speeds, biologists have identified 13 distinctive gates. One of them reaches up to 20 feet per stride. That's like taking two average length kayaks end to end and leaping over them in one giant jump. Pronghorns also have excellent vision. Those, those big, beautiful eyes allow them a 300-degree view. Think about that. They're only 60 degrees short of being able to see completely around them. And they can see predators up to four miles away. Apart from predators, they also need to survive our harsh Wyoming climate. And they adapt to that by seldom drinking water and instead getting hydration from their food. Also, they have hollow hair. This helps insulate them so that they can survive extremes in temperatures from 30 below to above 100 degrees. Another adaptation is that they migrate to better grounds in the winter. And in fact, they have the longest land migration on our continent. Several migrating herds have been very well documented and photographed. And I especially recommend that you get your hands on Joe Reese's book, Yellowstone Migrations. He used camera traps to capture intimate close-ups of their grueling migration, and thanks to his images and the visibility that he raised with them, we now have several wildlife overpasses and underpasses to help pronghorn and other ungulates safely migrate. I have a link to his book in the show notes at wyomingmy307.blogspot.com. Today I'm going to forego the dot on the map segment because Bruce and I covered so many dots. But I'm not skipping on the land acknowledgement because it's so important to me. And you may wonder, what is a land acknowledgement? Well, it means taking a moment to recognize that this land that I love so much, that I feel so connected to, is the territory of indigenous people. A land acknowledgement recognizes them as the traditional stewards of this land, not only in the past, but also today. And by acknowledging that, I'm expressing gratitude and appreciation to them. And so I acknowledge that we are on the ancestral lands of the Cheyenne, Arapaho, Crow, Shoshone, and other native peoples of the Rocky Mountain region. Well, it's time to hit the road. I'm really looking forward to checking out some of the trails that Bruce mentioned that are new to me, and I'll post pics on Instagram when I do. 
please tag Wyoming My 307 if you post pictures of any of the trails mentioned today. I hope you enjoyed learning some about hikes by highways and our amazing native pronghorn antelope. Make sure to check out the show notes for more information. And if you have questions or suggestions, email me, wyomingmy307 at gmail.com. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Did you hear that? That was the sound of a pronghorn antelope.